Five-second animation says it all. The incredible 88-pound shape-shifting transformation 26-year-old Amanda achieved in just one year. I had pretty low self-esteem. Starting at 222 pounds, Amanda, who asked us not to use her full name, took these five photos of her remarkable weight loss, hoping they would inspire her to stay on track. I knew that I had to start somewhere, and I figured if I did it at least once a month, at the end of however long it took, I would have this really cool end product. But in the years since she posted the pictures, she's gotten nearly 3 million views. One person apparently so inspired, he made this animated before and after time lapse, which is now going viral. Amanda says eating a high-protein diet, portion control, and light exercise is to thank for maintaining her new weight. But what has so many buzzing is how drastically her body changes in the photos. The waist got smaller, the bust line got smaller, the neck got smaller, but the more significant changes actually occur inside our bodies. Changes to one's sense of self, to one's physiology, to one's internal metabolism. As for Amanda, along with her whole new body, she says she's focusing on her health and helping others. I don't think I was actually fully prepared for the amount of emotional investment. People bear their souls when they want to take back their health even when it comes in the form of a little motivational animation. Hey, man, eh? that's a cool story, isn't it? We love stories of transformation. Yeah. Um, how many of you have, uh, have been uh, you know, impacted by a story of someone who's made a transformation in their lives? Put up your hand if that's you. You've, had, you've seen someone go through a transformational process. These things are empowering, exciting. I love watching those. Um, if you haven't watched the story of a guy named Arthur online, go watch that. It's awesome. I wanted to show it. It's too long. Um, amazing transformations that people have gone through. And there's power in transformation. We've been talking about going viral over the last uh, several weeks. This is week six of this series, and we've been going through the book of Acts, and we are landing on a story of transformation today that I believe will have an amazing impact on us if we allow it, and if we look deeply into what Paul or Saul uh, went through in his transformation. Let me pray. Father, you are worthy of our praise this morning, and you are worthy of our best, but we know that, Lord, we are nothing without you, and that you never leave us alone and that you are a good good father and you did pay it all on the cross and we can rest in you and trust in you pray now lord that you would empower us to live in your holy spirit and impact us with the truth of your son jesus christ amen amen you know this morning um i want us to ask what what's the first thing we do when we see a story of transformation what a, what a, if you know someone who's gone through a transformation process what's the first question we ask anybody got an answer shout it out to me oh. how exactly first thing right how did you do that how did you change such so dramatically and i i would challenge you that that's actually the kind of one of the key points to think about Uh, today is that transformation it inspires us but it also causes people to say what happened how did that happen what did it cost you is it possible for me could i maybe make that same transformation now i might appear to be the wrong person to talk about weight loss this morning um but believe it or not about 10 years ago i went through a pretty dramatic physical transformation I, uh, I was uh, newly dating this girl um, who was living in Japan. 
and I had seven months before I was going to see her face to face. Um, she is now my wife, and so I'm proud to say that worked out well. Um, but that uh, that motivated me quite a bit to get in shape, um, and I had some time to work that out. So in, in actually three months, I lost 40 pounds. Um, I, I got into good shape. I did a lot of exercise, and um, I really... Uh, made a noticeable transformation. People around me, I, was, I wasn't prepared, like you saw in the video, for the response that I would get. Because when it became noticeable, people started saying, how did you do that? What are you doing? And they wanted to know my secret. Um, <laughs> secret was exercise and, and diet. I mean, it was not a secret at all. I just, uh, you know, it, it worked though. And it made a difference. And I got a lot of questions. But I also got, you know, a lot of, People who were a little bit worried and questioning, you know, how, you know, even negative comments. So today, as we talk about transformation, I want to say that I believe a good transformational story has the potential to go viral. Um, it has the potential to impact people. In fact, our story this morning is from Acts chapter 9. And scholars agree that the most important event in human history, apart from the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the conversion to Christianity of Saul of Tarsus. This is no minor event in our history. This is one of the most or the most important event apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This was not a minor transformation we're talking about. This was a made new 180 degree turnaround of a man who would come to write 13 of 27 books of the New Testament, which is more than 30% of our New Testament text. And, and so I want us to just really absorb how transformational, not, not just in Paul's life, but in the life of even us today. How many of us would say that the writing of Paul has had a dramatic impact on our lives? I would say that easily. And how many of us never raise our hands? Because <laughs> right? most, uh, most of you would agree his, his books have had a profound impact on us. And the truth is that uh, the, this power that he received through the Holy Spirit, his confrontation with the truth, it, it changed him in such a profound way um, that it affects you and I here thousands of years later. So the principle is this. When God radically transforms a life, the lives of others are radically affected, encouraged, and even empowered toward transformation themselves. And I believe that I'm a result of this transformation. I'm a result of what, of what Saul went through. So we're going to look at the story of Saul in Acts chapter 9 and see what it was that made such an impact on him. And so we know that um, from previous weeks, we, even last week, we saw that Paul was, was having a, a serious hand in destroying the work of Christ. And by his own admission, Paul says that he was violently persecuting the church and doing his best to destroy it. His mission was to destroy the work of Christ. And so let's pick it up in, in verse 3 of Acts chapter 9. It says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him to the hand 
by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. And so, if you want to, and I I encourage you to read the rest of the chapter, the story continues, and many people doubt Saul's transformation. With good reason, you know. I, I don't know about you, but... You know, like Ananias, I'd be a little bit hesitant to just go hang out with this guy. (laughs) He was doing some pretty nasty stuff. And so over a period of actually three years, Paul writes, his preaching became more and more powerful and he becomes the object of persecution himself. Many seeking to murder him. In fact, I assume probably some of the people that he, in the group he traveled with, would have been now seeking to get him. And so... Paul goes through this, but I want, to, I want to finish with verse 31. Verse 31 says this, The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. In other words, the church went viral when Paul's transformation was seen to be real. It had a dramatic impact on the church. We know that. We know the rest of the story, do we not? We know the impact that he would have. So, Paul the persecutor of Christ becomes Paul the preacher. A complete turnaround, a dramatic transformation in his life that would capture the attention, not only of just uh, the people then, but us today. So, why Paul? Well, Paul, you see, is the perfect man for the job. He writes later on in Acts 22.3, he says, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. That means he was a Roman citizen and a Jew. And I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel, which was a teacher that would have educated him in the Jewish tradition and law. As a student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish law and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. See, Paul was the right guy because he got it. He knew what he was coming out of. He knew the Old Testament law. He was a Roman citizen, so he also knew the people that God was going to send him out to. He was... Uh, He was well-suited to take this dramatic message out. Now, I want to do a quick aside because you'll probably notice me saying Saul, Paul, Saul, Paul, and getting all mixed up. Well, it's interesting if you think about it. uh, Saul had two names. It's just that simple, okay? This wasn't a God-directed name change. At least we don't have any record of that or, or no indication of that. Saul just simply had two names. 
Saul would be his Hebrew name or his Jewish name, and Paul would be his Roman name. And so if I use them interchangeably today, it just, it's the same guy. <laughs> Don't be confused by that. Um, there's nothing significant if, except the fact that Paul chose to use his Roman name because he was called to reach and preach to the Gentiles and to the Roman people. So he understood how dramatic this change was going to be. He went from persecutor to preacher. And how did he do that? What, what made this dramatic impact? What, was, what happened on that road to Damascus that, that dramatically changed him for a lifetime and us for thousands of years to come. And I want to I say that the first truth here that we can get um, is a truth that many of us know. That transformation begins with a face-to-face encounter with the truth of Jesus Christ. It begins with a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ and with his truth of who he is. And so in verse 5, as we looked in the story, he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now this this would have caught uh, Saul in a, a, a pretty much off guard, which explains why he says what he says next. Because Saul, growing up in the Jewish tradition, would understand that this voice from heaven clearly meant that God was speaking to him. There would have been no doubt in in Saul's mind that that God was speaking to him in that moment. He knew what was happening, but he was confused by the words. The words were, why are you persecuting me? See, Paul gets a bad rep for being this terrible guy. He kind of was, but at the same time, he was was following and and being a good Jew. He was doing the, the will of God in his mind. He was following the will of the God of Isaac and Jacob. And Abraham, he was doing God's work. And so for God to say, why are you persecuting me? He's confused and his response is clear. He says, who are you, Lord? And in that moment, he he must be questioning every single thing that he's learned in his life. And the voice replies with the most shocking truth that he would ever hear. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And in a moment, Paul is struck with profound truth. A student of God in the Old Testament, he was struck with this. He had an epiphany. You know what an epiphany is? It's a sudden realization of the truth. You know, it's kind of those moments where you suddenly get it. Have you ever heard a joke and kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, that's your, you know, that's your epiphany moment. Some are slower than others and we won't make you know, any comments on that. But uh, the bottom line is, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the first time you ride a bike. You know, that moment where you, you get it. You're just like suddenly, physically, you get the balance, you get the speed, you get the, st- you just, you understand, you don't need the training wheels anymore. You've got it. You've had that physical or uh, epiphany. I, ha- I have children and one of the funnest, funnest, most fun things um, <laughs> that, you, that I get to watch is my children have epiphanies when they suddenly experience something for the first time. And I remember the time that the first time I gave my son, who's now two, this is a while ago, I gave him some chocolate. And watching the eyes, maybe it was the caffeine and sugar, but just the, whoa, this is amazing. You know, he had a sudden epiphany of how great chocolate is. And then I had a sudden epiphany that I just made a huge mistake. As I heard, more, 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 more for the rest of that afternoon. And I remember trying to feed him lunch that day. And it's like, no, chocolate, no, chocolate. Um, (laughs) Again, sometimes we have profound epiphanies. Sometimes they're just sudden realizations of the truth. Myself, I had a, a, 
one of these God-ordained epiphanies in North Carolina. I'll never forget the day. I was driving um, on my way to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I was on the road, and I was frustrated. I had kind of hit the lowest of lows in my life. And I was questioning God's call on my life. I was frustrated. I said, God, how did I end up here? Why am I here? What what is going on? How did it come to this? I I was blaming God for my circumstances. I was angry at God for, for how things had ended up. And I remember this profound, sudden realization of the truth as God's spirit spoke to me in that moment. And he said, was my son not enough for you? I had to pull over the car. I even wrote a song about it. It was that impact. And there was a sudden moment where I realized that you, God, don't owe me anything. You gave me more than I ever deserved in your son, Jesus Christ. I had a sudden realization that Christ was enough. He was sufficient for all of my needs. And that I had an assured victory in heaven. You've had epiphanies yourself. You've had moments of truth realized to you where the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. Paul uh, is basically teaching us. He said, you've got to get your head right. You've got to think right. You've got to understand who Jesus really is. In Romans 12 too, you've heard this many times. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Transformation is a process of changing the understanding we have of truth and the, and the things that we think. It's the thing God does. God does the transforming. And then you learn to know his will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, Paul's belief system in this moment was forever changed. He had a profound epiphany. So what was his epiphany? It was, I was wrong. Paul suddenly realizes that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, we know this. We, we get it. But for him, this was a life-changing moment. In Philippians 3, 6 to 9, we, I want to read his own words, kind of describing this event. He says, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things, my actions, my works, my things, these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else counting it all as garbage so that I would gain Christ and become one with him. And this is kind of where he nails this profound moment of truth that I want to focus on here for a few minutes. He says, I no longer count on my righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. Paul had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ and the truth of who he is. He realized I can suddenly no longer make my way to God through mere obedience. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I can't get there on my own. The whole system has changed. Everything was about to change for many people. And Paul was going to be the messenger. And this dramatic event started this um, amazing journey that Paul would go on. Many journeys. It's the story of the New Testament. And it's a, it's a doctrine we call justification by faith alone. It's the concept that humans are saved from sin by believing in Jesus, not by works. 
I want to tell you today, that is good news. That is really good news for us. And we need, it means we can get off the scales. I don't know about you, but it's tempting in life. And people have done it for centuries to weigh out our actions and our, our goodness with our badness. You know, we, we just, we're always kind of saying, oh, am I just as long as I can keep the good side a little bit. But God is saying, no way. That is no longer the measuring standard for righteousness. It is now by faith in Jesus alone. That's good news, isn't it? Amen. I like to put it this way. Um, there's, it's the next one. Then it's, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Think about that for a moment. There's nothing, no actions, no good behavior will make God love you any more than he does today in this moment. And there's no bad action that you can do that will make God love you any less. That is not how we are made right with God. In fact, the change was from ritual to relationship. See, the Jewish tradition was focused on ritual observations of living according to the Jewish law. You can read all about it in the, in the Old Testament law. That was the way we had a relationship with God was through ritualistic obedience. In this moment, though, it triggered a fundamental change in humanity's relationship with God forever. In which faith rather than behavior, was the central core element. And that is good news for us. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Paul writes these words. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believe. Grace means you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. And that's what he saved you through. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. Plain and simple. It is not a reward for what you do. So none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He does the work. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things God planned for us long ago. The good news is you can't save yourself. You can't. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. And Paul suddenly realized all that I've done, all the works, all of the Jewish tradition, all of those things that I learned and understood were rubbish. They're nothing. They're meaningless. He realized that suddenly Jesus Christ alone destroyed the gap between us and sin. There's no more works that can accomplish those things. He doesn't just bridge the gap. Jesus destroys the gap. It's not there when we believe and we accept him. So the good news, you don't have to earn forgiveness. Isn't that good news? You don't have to earn it. I mean, someone once told me, it's kind of like, sometimes we act like we got to take a shower before we have a bath with God. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? You know, you got to clean up, then then come to us. How many of us have waited and waited? You know, I'll come to Christ when I'm kind of fixed a few of these issues. God's saying, no, come to me as you are. You don't need to earn anything. You don't have to measure up. (laughs) Thanks, sir. So the first step to transformation is this face-to-face encounter with the truth of who God is. With the truth that Jesus is enough. With the truth that he will bring us and destroy that gap between us and sin. So stop trying to be good enough. That's, that's my point. That's what Paul realized. You know what? It's not about me. It's about him. And so the second thing I want us to see in this story today is that transformation begins with this encounter, but it becomes genuine when we encounter the Holy Spirit. When we encounter the Holy Spirit. 
And so verse 17, we're going to look at this. Ananias, you know, I, I love Ananias in this story. I could preach a whole message on just this guy being faithful and willing to go and do, a, you know, a pretty difficult thing. Um, I know I'd be nervous going to, to do the work that Ananias did. But he laid his hands on, on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say to you that when I studied this again for this message, it's kind of the first time I noticed the mention of the Holy Spirit in here. And I think that that indicates a temptation that we have, that I have sometimes to to think about these transformations in our lives and think about them being done in our own strength. See, Saul was not just confronted with the truth of who Jesus was. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. The truth is, his transformation that we are so excited about and live by and have learned from today was not Paul's work. It's easy to give Paul credit, but we can't. Paul was transformed by the result of the Spirit's work in his life. If we're not careful, it's easy to forget and that Paul was a vessel, an empty vessel for God's Holy Spirit to work. And Paul himself would teach this to us so many times. He did not do it alone. I love that theme. I don't know if you caught it. I did because I knew I was going to preach on it. But in the, in the messages, in the, or sorry, in the songs today, several times it says, we're not alone. We're not alone. We're not alone. That is such a true statement. But it's easy to forget it's easy to, to, to work on our own strength. One of the biggest mistakes that I think Christians make today is to try to become like Jesus under our own power. We try to do it ourselves. I don't even think it's always conscious. In fact, I believe many times we do it unconsciously. I catch myself doing it unconsciously all the time, working really hard and not spending enough time asking for the Holy Spirit to do the work. But too many Christians are trying to demonstrate a transformed life on human effort. But the best they can pull off is a poor facsimile of it. It doesn't work. The world sees right through our best efforts. That is not the transformational power that will go viral. That is not how our church is going to change the world. Not by our own human effort. It will not work. I guarantee it. And you know it. (laughs) So how many of you think people ask me for weight loss advice now? (laughs) look no one does um i'd like to change that but no one does (laughs) and and i'm gonna have to go through a lot more transformation again um i'm about the same weight i was when i did that so anyway um I'd, i'd love to go through it again but the bottom line is that that over time this transformation in me didn't last i haven't maintained it The impact isn't there on people anymore because the proof is not there. It's not evident in my life. See, genuine transformation always stands the test of time and remains visible in our lives at all times. It's something that Paul would realize. It's easy to miss in this chapter, but Paul later says in Galatians that it was a three-year period before people kind of trusted him. There's several times where the Christians are like, I'm not... I don't want to have anything to do with him. It's in fact, in verse 26, it says, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. And this is three years after the fact. But eventually, with time, Paul would prove to people that this was a genuine, real transformation. And sometimes it takes time. Sometimes we have to 
to live it out and live out our faith in a world that may doubt us and may question us. And we have to say, this is genuine. You watch. I have a whole message that I'd love to preach someday about welcoming the judgment of others. We talk, the world says all the time, don't judge me, don't judge me, don't judge me. I think Christians should say, watch me, judge me. I'm going to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I don't think we have the right to say to the world, don't judge me. We are saying we are followers of Jesus Christ and we need to live it out like Paul did. His, his genuine transformation was the power of the Holy Spirit. It made a difference when people witnessed it. And many people testified to it. And that's what that made an impact. So genuine, genuine transformation, this real transformation that will go viral, will change the world, is not a product of self. It is not something you can do. Just like you can't save yourself, you can't change yourself. And that's good news. You don't sound too excited. It's good news that you can't do anything about your problems, isn't it? <laughs> You're going... What? <laughs> I know this is the confusion clap or clapping, right? Uh, <laughs> the, this is good news, and I'll tell you why. The good news is that if you had to do it yourself, you're going to fall short. That's the message of the Old Testament. That's the message of the law. You can't be good enough. You'll never be good enough. And this is what Saul suddenly realized in this moment. I cannot do this on my own. He talks in the, in the book of Galatians. The, the, the book is written to the Galatian believers because they were trying to attain spiritual perfection by keeping the law. They, they, had, they had kind of become followers of Christ, but they were still wrapped up in the law and it had ended in failure. The Bible says they were biting and devouring each other. Have you ever seen churches like that where they, they bite and devour each other? I thank God I, I haven't seen anything like that here. I love, the, I love that about our church. But obviously their devotion to the law was, hadn't really enabled them to be devoted to each other in love. It hadn't allowed them to be Christ-like. And so Paul writes to them in Galatians 5 and gives them an answer that you probably know what I'm going to say. He says, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. He's saying you can't do it on your own. The law is not enough. And my, one of my favorite passages of scripture in verse 22 of Galatians 5 he says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives you know them love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control and there's no law against these things my uh, my hope today is that we'll grasp that this picture of the Holy Spirit's fruit in our lives is what will change our world this is what will change the world. If we could bottle up these characteristics, these nine things, and say, if you come here, you will receive this. You will get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. How many people would be at our door? They're like, man, I want those things. We are, that's the human condition. Those are our needs. Those are what we crave and we long for. And the answer to where they're found is not in human effort and hard work. It's in the Holy Spirit. He produces those things and only he can produce them human effort i believe can only imitate these things and i'm not saying you can't kind of muster up some patience or even some self-control i mean but isn't it freeing to know that actually it's the holy spirit that can do those things I, think about it for a minute self-control 
which almost by definition implies you do it yourself, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit living in you. It's, you can find self-control not in your effort, but in your time and your devotion to the Holy Spirit and to the Word. It's amazing. Our role to play, though. How do we do it? Because I, I can't wrap up without say, giving us some practical steps on how. It's to surrender to the Holy Spirit and to let Him fill our lives. The fruit of the Spirit was one of those profound epiphanies to me when I suddenly realized I don't have to work at these things. I have to allow the Spirit to do these things. There's a a profound difference there. It's not on human effort. When Paul instructs us in, in Ephesians 5, he says to be filled with the Spirit, he... If you study that scripture, he's implying very clearly that it's something the Spirit does and something we allow to happen. There's our, our, we do have a part to play in this. The Spirit does the work. We just have to surrender to it. So what does that look like? Surrendering to the Holy Spirit means to stop focusing on outward actions and start practicing inward disciplines. Think about it for a minute. If I can help someone here today to stop striving toward achieving an outward action goal and start striving toward inward disciplines of of drawing near to the Holy Spirit, I'll be so thrilled that that's happening because I believe it's one of our, our, our greatest struggles is against self and against the desire to do it ourselves, our independence. We think that we've got to work hard at these and do it our own, on our own. But our outward actions are transformed by our inward disciplines of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's what's going to change you, is the inward disciplines and drawing near to His Spirit. It's not about eliminating bad behaviors in your life. It's about falling in love with your Savior. That's freedom. That's freedom. You don't have to eliminate bad behaviors. You have to fall in love with Jesus Christ. You have to come close and draw near to His Holy Spirit. So I would challenge you today with a few things like maybe we should focus less on what we watch on TV and more on devoting ourselves to reading God's word. He'll direct the remote if we let him have control. Maybe we should focus less on gossiping and more on seeing people as God sees them and ask him to fill us with love for others through his Holy Spirit. Maybe we should focus less on our worries and more on increasing the depth and the breadth of our prayer life. More prayer is going to change your worries. Maybe we should focus less on finding a soulmate and more about worshiping the creator of our soul. Maybe we should focus less on fixing our marriage problems and more on family devotions. These are practical, simple, inward disciplines that we can practice. Putting God first as a family will solve a lot of problems. Maybe we should focus less on increasing our finances and more on using them to serve God. Maybe we should focus less on the habitual sin that we're struggling with and begin fasting for spiritual breakthrough in that matter. Maybe it's the inward disciplines of drawing near to the Holy Spirit so that he can do the work. Maybe it's time to stop striving and working so hard at our behavior and start working hard at our relationship with Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. The power isn't you, but it is in you. The power isn't you, but it is in you to change, to be transformed. Why does it matter? Verse 31, we read earlier, it says, With the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, the church, it also grew in numbers. 
this transformation that Paul went through of, of coming face to face with the profound truth of who Jesus Christ is and being filled with his Holy Spirit changed everything. It changed him to the core of who he was. And it impacted the church. Because when God transforms a life, it is unmistakable. It's undeniable. And people will see it in your life. Your human effort will prove false, will fall short, and people will be disappointed, and people will be not drawn to Christ and to the church. But when we live and walk in the Spirit, people will see that happening. It will be evident. So will people see our lives be evidence of the work of Jesus Christ, the truth of who He is, the work of His Holy Spirit? We're going to sing a song called From the Inside Out. Um, simple message that, that God wants to change us from the inside out. And I think there's, there's people here today that need to have a confrontation with the truth. That need to recognize that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. And suddenly, like Paul, realize he is Lord. He is Messiah and he wants to come into my life. And he has bridged the gap. And he has made it so that I can come to know him. And it is a free gift. There is nothing you have to do to earn it. It doesn't matter where you are. You don't need to take a bath before you have the shower or other way, whatever. You don't need to do that. You can come as you are. And then invite the Holy Spirit. And some of us who have been walking for years in the Lord, maybe even unconsciously, have been striving so hard on our outward actions. But maybe we need to work on our inward disciplines. Maybe it's time to draw near to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to do the work. I'm done trying on my own. I am done working hard at this. I want to be like Paul, be filled with your spirit and have it be lived out every day of my life. I just challenge you, maybe maybe some people need to come and just spend some time in prayer here at the front whatever you need to do however you need to respond I would challenge you to do that but um, as is common in our church I love that we we are unafraid to ask people to make a commitment Um, I want to ask is there anyone here that would just say you know what I've had that epiphany I've had that moment of realization and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is Lord and I want to follow him I want to accept his free gift of grace if you're doing that for the first time and you'd like to do that, we'd ask you to raise your hand. We'd just cheer for you and say, we're excited of what God's doing in your life. Is there anyone here that wants to make that statement today? Amen. Down here. Woo. Anyone else? Praise the Lord. Let's see. You gotta, anyone? Oh, we got more clapping. Where's the... I don't see the hand <laughs> over this way. Awesome. Praise Jesus. Awesome. He is Lord. It's true. We know it. Anyone else? Now, for those of you who've been following Christ and, and have been have been doing your best, and maybe you've been doing your human best, it's time to surrender the Holy Spirit. I'm going to challenge you to take a step boldly and unashamed. And I'm going to ask you to come forward for prayer.
during this song. And I'm going to ask you to say, you know what? If you, if you just need to rest in his power and you need to let go of something and say, Holy Spirit, I am not capable of this. It's in your hands. Fill me now and empower me to live the inward disciplines of drawing near to you. You fill me with the fruit of your spirit. If you're longing for any one of those nine things, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the goodness, the faithfulness, and the self-control, and I challenge you to come up and pray specifically for that request, that God would help you to receive that through his Holy Spirit. So as we sing, if that's you, come forward and we'll close in prayer. Would you stand?